Welcome to Centre Church. We hope you enjoyed this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. We're now in week two uh, of our new series, Jesus Christ, the answer for every generation. Wish introduced us last week to Jesus, fully God, fully man. And this week we are looking at Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. If you have ever heard Jesus Christ, you'll often hear the tagline that follows, Jesus died for our sins. And that's really what we're looking at today. So perhaps a good place to start is, um, you know, with some definitions. Uh, Next slide, please, Lorraine. From uh, Redeemer is this word redemption. We've just been singing about redemption this morning. It means deliverance or rescue, recovery by payment or atonement for guilt or fault. All of that has to do with sin. And this word atonement means a satisfaction for wrongdoing. The wrongdoing is sin. Who's satisfied? God. And the reconciliation is between God and man. Now, whenever there is a payment, there is currency. So what was the currency Jesus used to pay for our sins? His blood. Amen? The Apostle John says that he was an eyewitness to the last hours of Jesus' life. And if you read chapter 19 in John's Gospel, he says Pilate had him flogged with a whip. They put a crown of thorns upon his head, they nailed him to a cross, and they thrust a spear in his side, and water and blood poured out. That's a lot of blood. Make no mistake, Jesus paid with his blood. This is the foundational principle of Christianity. If you cannot believe that, you cannot go any further. You are not a Christian, sorry, but that is the foundation of Christianity. Amen? Amen. Next slide, please, Lorraine. As I was preparing this sermon, I thought to myself, I wonder how many times the blood of Jesus is mentioned in the New Testament. And I started reading the book of Romans, and I didn't get any further. (laughs) Paul says in chapter 3, in these three verses, 23 to 25, he says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Here we have the entire Christian message summarized in three verses. We have all the key players here in yellow. All. That's every human being who has ever lived. We have Jesus and we have God. And in red we have all these key components. Why? Sin. What needs to be done? Redemption. For what purpose? Atonement. How? His blood. Amen? So... I felt the Lord put on my heart today to preach on this portion of Scripture, to pick this apart, to perhaps fill in some gaps in our knowledge, clear up a few areas of confusion maybe, and just equip us for evangelism. If we're to go out and preach the gospel, we need to know what it is we're actually preaching, right? And I know from experience there are some very, very 
deep and challenging philosophical and theological questions out there that we get asked, often at the most unexpected of times, by the most unexpected of people. For example, I was doing some ministry with some drug addicts about a year ago, and they had some brilliant questions, far better than any PhD student I've ever met. <laughs> so, perhaps the, the best place for us to start in all this is God. Who is God? How many times have you read God in the Bible and just skipped straight over that? Who is God, huh? Because you can go to a certain place in Asia and there are about 33 million gods, give or take a few million. You can go to another place in Asia and they don't believe in God, but they believe in spirits. Or you can go elsewhere in the world and God is everywhere, in everything. Every blade of grass is God. Every cloud, every pigeon, even the people are gods. You can walk down the street here and people don't believe in God. I guarantee they worship something or someone. So who is God? Next slide, please, Lorraine. Now, we need to go all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way back to Genesis, and all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Here's the scene. God has just created everything. Amen? The universe, stars, the sun, the moon, the earth, animals, plants, everything. He's created everything, and the last piece of his creation is us. He saved the best till last, made in his image. So here's where we need to find out about God. We're going to do some theology. Theology just means the knowledge of God, the understanding of God. Now, if someone asks me about my wife, what's your wife like? I don't talk about her clothes or, you know, how tall she is, etc. I talk about her characteristics, her personality, and her relationship to me, right? And so it is with God. We find out about his characteristics and his relationship with us, humanity. So, if you remember nothing else today, remember this. We humans have always, always, always been in a covenant relationship with God. A covenant is a contract, an agreement. Okay? This is very, very important to understand. Let's read Genesis 2, starting at verse 9. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. That includes the tree of life. God didn't say don't eat from that one. So the author of Genesis is telling us that the original plan for humanity was to have eternal life. Amen? Verse 17. Here comes the covenant. Watch this. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Wow. We can understand so much about God and this first thing he says to humanity. Simplified, this is what the covenant looks like. Obey me, and you live forever. Disobey me, and you die. It's very, very simple to understand, isn't it? Our lives are governed by covenants and contracts. If you've got a job, if you're married, if you've got a passport, if you drive a car, 
you are under some sort of covenant, some sort of contract, and they are there for justice. If you worked for a month and you didn't get paid and your money went somewhere else, you'd be very disappointed. But we have contracts and covenants in place to protect us, right? And so it is with God. He put the covenant in place because he's fair, because he wants justice. That's a characteristic of God. He is just and he is fair. Okay? Often hear from unbelievers, I don't believe the Bible. It's a load of rubbish. don't believe anything in there. So ask three questions. Do you believe in the concept of good and evil? Yes. Can you tell the difference between good and evil? Yes. Do you think good should be rewarded and evil punished? Yes. Then you're in agreement with God, aren't you? And you're in agreement with the Bible. Amen? Amen. Now, when you study ancient Hebrew, there's a lot that comes out of the New Testament that's missed in our modern translations. This type of covenant, there's two types of covenant, right? There's one where you can negotiate, maybe if you're putting an offer in for a house or Alex is selling a lovely pair of shoes on Marketplace and we do a bit of haggling. We reach an agreement, we shake hands, we're in a covenant, we're in a contract. That is not this type of covenant. There is another one where it is non-negotiable. You do not negotiate with God over the terms of a covenant. Do you understand covenants? You do not negotiate with God over a covenant. So now that we can understand that, let's move forward through the Bible and see how this story unfolds. Next slide, please, Lorraine. In the very next chapter of your Bible, we see this word sin. We all know what happens. The man and the woman fall into sin. They are tempted by the devil, and sin enters humanity. Now, I think this word sin is perhaps one of the most misunderstood words in the Christian language. I'll tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean wrongdoing or evil. I know Ian Dowie knows the answer to this question, but in Hebrew, sin, it's chata in Hebrew, it means to miss the target. And the writer of Genesis tells it in a way of an archer, doing some archery practice, and the arrow misses the target. That's what sin means, to miss the target. Well, it begs the question, doesn't it, what is the target? The answer, the covenant. Okay, do you see that? Human sin, we missed the target, we are now outside the covenant. That is not a good place to be for humanity. God created us, God provides for us, God loves us, God protects us in that covenant, and now we are outside that covenant. That is an awful, awful place to be. And here's the other thing. Sin is not an action. This is where I think it's so misunderstood. Sin is a condition. You can't really say, I didn't sin today. That just doesn't really make sense. Sin is a condition, okay, that's passed on like a disease and was passed on to every human being. And Paul says it here in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And then in 6.23, he says, 
the wages of sin is death. And in every Bible translation, you will see this word wages. It's very specific. It means the correct payment. It means what has been rightly earned as per the terms of the contract, the covenant. We understand that? And so death, which we all experience, none of us will be here in 100, 200 years' time, Death is evidence of two things. One, that sin is still in everyone. But two, death is evidence that God is fair. We wouldn't want an unfair boss, would we? So when he drew up the terms of the covenant, and we broke the covenant, he's fair. You understand? And death is a great equaliser of humanity. All through the ages, rich, poor, whatever nation you're from, death is the great equaliser, and it's very, very painful. Human experience. But we cannot begin to imagine how painful that is for God to see the crown of his creation, who he loved, step outside the covenant and have to serve death upon us. And so he did something about it. Hallelujah. Next slide, please, Lorraine. What did he do about it? He presented Christ as a sacrifice. Now, I haven't got time to go through the entire Old Testament talking about blood sacrifices, but when you come across the word atonement in the Old Testament, it's actually a bit of a mistranslation. It means covering. It's a temporary measure that God put in place. And the idea is that there is a uh, a perfect animal that has to be sacrificed, the blood sacrificed of an innocent animal, and sometimes up to several times a day. It was emotionally, financially, physically, and spiritually draining. And it's bloody as well. If you read through the book of Leviticus, there's just blood everywhere. It's horrific, it's gruesome. That's the idea to remind us of the awfulness of sin. Okay? Next slide, please, Lorraine. Now, here's the thing. In the Old Testament, there was a high priest, and this was the mediator between God and the people of Israel. In all spiritual matters, they came through the high priest. And the high priest would inspect this sacrificial animal. It had to be perfect, without blemish. And the Young's literal translation, which is the most literal translation, says no evil blemish. That's interesting. Your lamb must be perfect without blemish. If there was any blemish, you do not sacrifice it to God because he will not accept it. Okay? In the book of Hebrews, chapters 4 and 5, it tells us that Jesus is our high priest but he's also the sacrifice. What does that mean? It means he inspected himself daily. He had to go to the cross perfect. If he was not perfect at the point of his execution, God would not have accepted that sacrifice. And you and I would not be here today. You understand? And here's where I think we can start applying some of these principles to our daily walk with God. I'm going to go off piste for a few minutes here. The Bible says we should imitate Christ. That's what being a disciple is, right? 
And so I ask us, church, are we inspecting ourselves daily? I had the privilege of having a 15-year career leading expeditions in mountains, jungles, and deserts all over the world. And I had to be an expert with a map and a compass. If I wasn't, then I couldn't really do it. And we had ongoing training and assessment. We used to live in the mountains, and military personnel would come and wake us up in our tents in the middle of the night and go wandering around in the mountains with a map and compass. And the worse the conditions, the better our ability shone through. There's a kind of analogy for Christian living. The worse the conditions, the better our ability shines through. And there's only one way to navigate like that in cloud, snow, wind, rain, pitch black, just you, compass, map, head torch, and you can only see about that much in front of you, is you take it slowly and you check and you check and you check and you check and you do not stop checking where you're going and you make sure you're on that bearing, whatever happens. You only need to go off your bearing one or two degrees and you go like that at first, it doesn't make much difference. But the further you travel off your bearing, the further and further you get away from where you're meant to be. And perhaps it's like that in the Christian life. The path you're meant to be on becomes ever more alien and the path you are actually on becomes ever more comfortable. And I read a post-mortem of an experienced mountaineer and he'd gone off the side of a mountain. And they said it was suicide. But that didn't sit right with anybody who knew him. And they said, no, 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 that can't be suicide. We know him. And so what they concluded, what transpired was, he thought he was on a different mountain. He thought he was here in a place of safety, but he wasn't. He was over here in a place of great danger. Somewhere he'd got complacent and he'd gone off on the wrong path. Let's not get complacent, church. Amen? Amen? And the key to good map reading is looking around you, scanning the landscape and seeing every feature, every mountain, every valley, every river, and knowing what that looks like on the map, and vice versa, looking on your map and knowing what it's going to look like in front of your eyes. We should be able to read the Word of God, look up and know what's happening around us, look at our circumstances and our daily lives, does that align with the word of God? Amen? So Jesus inspected himself all the time. He was perfect when he went to the cross. Next slide, please, Lorraine. So what's the result of his perfection? Well, it is only because Jesus was perfect and without blemish that God accepted this sacrifice and he put in place his master plan, the new covenant. Matthew's gospel records this. Then he, Jesus, took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is groundbreaking. Since humanity, since the fall, we've always been outside the covenant, just with the temporary measures put in place. Now Jesus is saying there is a new covenant. You can step back in to everything that God has for you. As per the original plan, 
No sin, no death, eternal life, full access to God. And this is our already but not yet theology. This has already happened. Christ has already died. He's won the victory. We're just waiting for him to come back. Amen? But what are the terms of this new covenant? Remember the, the first covenant? There were some terms attached. God said, if you do this, you're going to get out of it. Well, now we're out of it. God says, you need to do this to get back into it. So what is that? Next slide, please, Lorraine. And this is the crux of Christianity. By faith. By faith. Faith in the blood of Jesus gets you back in the covenant. And that's also faith in the word of God. You cannot separate God from the word of God. So you put your faith in the word of God and the blood of Jesus. And this is what separates Christianity from all other religions and philosophies. It's what we call justification by works. They're over here doing good deeds, reaching up, saying, look at what I'm doing, God, to make myself more holy and more acceptable to you. And we're over here. And God says, no, no, you cannot make yourself holy. Only I can do that. And I reach down to you and cleanse you through the blood of Jesus. Amen? Where is he? Will. Over there, I was chatting to my friend Will in the week. We had a very interesting conversation. He'd been to a funeral. And he was greatly disturbed. At this funeral, he knew the whole family were unbelievers. He knew that. And yet he said, they said the Lord's Prayer. They said Amen every time the vicar finished praying. And the family of the deceased, one of them said, it's okay, they're in heaven now, looking down. I've got to be brutally honest, and we have to be. If you believe in heaven, then likely you believe in God, and you believe probably other things that are written in the Bible. But the Bible says Jesus is the only way to heaven, right? Those are the terms of the new covenant. If you think you're getting to heaven by doing good works or by any other means, you're making up a covenant. You've written your own contract and you've signed it. It may look very good and you can say, hey, look, I'm getting to heaven. I made a contract and I signed it. God never signed that. Remember, just like the first covenant, you do not negotiate with God on his terms of his covenant. You don't tell God what to do. That's self-righteous pride. Amen? So this is called the new covenant, but this is also the last covenant. There's, this is finished. There's nothing else written in here. This is the last covenant, and this is the last chance for mankind, and these are the last days. Look around you. These are the last days. Jesus is coming back for sure. Amen? So let's wrap this up now. And this, I really want to dive into how we can live this out, how we can apply the blood of Jesus to our lives. Next slide, please, Lorraine. And as we started in the book of Genesis, so we'll finish in the book of Revelation. And the blood of Jesus runs right through the Bible, start to finish. So I want to read this portion of Scripture to close. Revelation 12, verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, 
that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Where is Satan? On earth. Why is he here? Because he was cast out of heaven. And what's he doing on earth? He's deceiving the whole world. Who's his number one target? The church. Christians. There's many ideologies out there that set themselves up against the word of God and present themselves as moral and righteous, but they're not. Are we seeing through those? Because Satan is very, very convincing. False teachers, false doctrines, or even perhaps we're victims of self-indulgence, self-gratification, self-promotion worshipping ourselves. We've become our own gods here in the West. Yes, is Satan leading you astray? I was having breakfast with my friend Luke the other morning and the TV was on in the background and I saw out of the corner of my eye that the news was on. And I thought they were covering the conflict in Palestine and Israel. Because what I saw was a load of people fighting and huddling in a small space and a load of chaos and fear. And so I thought, oh, I'll just check what the latest is in Israel and Palestine. But it wasn't at all. It was a news reporter in a department store reporting on the Black Friday event. And these people were fighting each other over a television. That's called consumerism. This is Satan leading people astray, telling them what's important in life. These people pouring their time, their money, their energy, their emotion and their love into a piece of plastic. Verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. John does not just stop with salvation. The blood of Christ is not just a ticket to get us into heaven. No, there's more. Remember he said the worst place to be for humanity was outside the covenant. But John understood this. John had seen it all. This is his writing. This is an old man. He's seen everything. Now, back in this new covenant, we have full access to everything that God is. I have the power to heal the sick raise the dead and cast out demons in the name of Jesus. Not because I'm super spiritual, but because I understand the covenant that I'm in. And I activate the authority that I'm given as per the terms of that covenant. Amen? That's the power of the blood of Jesus in the new covenant. We're going to go into some ministry in a minute, folks. Let's just finish off this portion of scripture. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Did you know that Satan is accusing you day and night? Is he telling people they're worthless? Another word for the accuser is a liar. Satan been lying to you? You riddled with fear, anxiety? low self-esteem, confusion. Satan has been lying to you. So what do we do? 
verse 11. Here's our verse. And they overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Here is John's two-part strategy for overcoming Satan. The blood of the Lamb, that's Jesus. He's done his bit. What's our part? Our testimony. What's our testimony? The blood of the Lamb. You go out there and you declare it over everything and to everything that has ears. Satan runs away from people who fearlessly declare the blood of Jesus. If Satan is accusing us day and night, are we declaring the blood day and night? Or are we just kind of rolling over and letting Satan have his way? And they did not love their lives to the death. John here is talking about the early church and the manifest evil of the Roman Empire couldn't shut them up. And they turned the world upside down. Those are your ancestors. They understood the new covenant and the power of the blood of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For any more information or to find out more of what we do as a church, you can contact us at info at centrechurch.uk or check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.